Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, folks, and thanks for tuning in to AOA. Today, we have a lot going on, taking a look at the world of commodity trading. We have some enthusiastic investors making their way into commodities. Grains are higher almost across the board. Energies are higher. Cattle are suffering a little bit, but hogs are on fire. We'll talk all the commodity market news in segment three. Arlen Suderman of Stonex will be joining us. Before we get to Arlen, though, we're going to speak with Joel Haggard in segment two. He's the senior vice president of the Asia-Pacific region for the U.S. Meat Export Federation, and COVID is popping up in Southeast Asia. Joe's going to, Joel, rather, is going to shed some light on how this could develop over the coming weeks. But before we get to all of that, as we take a look at the markets today, crude oil again up big, currently up almost $5 in the West Texas market. We're seeing rising gas prices at pumps across the country, and folks are looking for a solution. Well, a potential solution has been proposed in Washington, D.C. A bipartisan bill called the Homefront Energy Independence Act has been introduced in both the House and the Senate to help shed a little light on what this bill might do for us. We're joined now by Troy Breedenkamp. He's the senior vice president of government and public affairs at the RFA. And Troy, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Mike. Let's talk the basics of this home front energy bill. Troy, it's really got a few goals it's looking to accomplish. Can you tell us what they're trying to do with this bill? Well, they're doing a couple different things, Mike. One thing is that it does codify the prohibition on Russian oil uh, coming into the United States. And, and so that is something that obviously the Biden administration has already taken uh, administrative steps on, but but this would actually put it into statute. So that's the first thing that the bill does. But then what do you do to replace all of that Russia uh, commodity that wouldn't be coming into the U.S.? And, and the bill then goes into, um, let's replace that with biofuels. We have that option right now. Uh, so the bill would, would, um, would codify a lot of the things we've been asking for, such as year-round E15, that is something that, that we've been asking to be fixed, and the bill would do that. The bill would also make it easier to drop E15 into current E10 infrastructure. There's been a lot of regulatory burdens to that, and so this would uh, clarify some of that, get that cleaned up so that that's capable of being done. And then it would incent new infrastructure to be put in the ground for E15 and higher blends. So, it's really taking that approach of we're going to not buy Russian oil, but we're going to replace it with homegrown American biofuels. And that's something we're pretty excited about. It is exciting. And Troy, as this bill, these discussions proceed in Washington, D.C., of course, the question is going to come. Can we replace these these Russian crude oil or gasoline gallons with American ethanol? What is the, the capacity freedom we have in this country? Could we meet the demand? We actually could, Mike. So when you look at the numbers in terms of actual finished gasoline coming from Russian commodities, it's about 150 to 170,000 barrels of gasoline per day. Um, we actually have that in excess capacity right now uh, within the ethanol industry in the U.S. Um, we are at about a 17.2 billion gallon capacity, and we're only blending about um, a little less than, than 15 billion gallons. And if you put that on a daily basis, it's about 150 to 170,000 barrels per day. So we could actually be replacing uh, what is going to be lost in those Russian uh, gasoline uh, volume with U.S. biofuels. And so that's part of the bill. That's one of the messages we've been sending loud and clear to the administration. Um, and a lot of those things wouldn't necessarily need to be done legislatively. They could do them regulatorily. Uh, there is, we feel, uh, uh, strong um, incentive for the Biden administration to take some administrative action on an emergency basis and allow for E15 to be sold this summer. 
Um, as you may recall, we lost a court case uh, last fall that will prohibit E15 from being sold this summer. So unless there is an emergency E15 waiver given by the Biden administration, unfortunately E15 pumps uh, will be being turned off on June 1 at a very critical point when we actually need more volume and lower cost fuel. So that's the crisis we're trying to avoid. We're trying to convince the administration that they can avoid that by a, uh, by a waiver being done, and, and that's our, our big push right now. Okay, hoping to get that waiver, get more ethanol into gas tanks over the summer with that E15 move. Troy, you mentioned one of the components of this bill is making it easier to drop that E15 into the existing infrastructure, which is built for E10. Is this just a changing the definition of words in the regulatory statutes, or is this an actual, we need new pumps, we need new piping, that sort of thing? No, you don't need anything at all. It, this is just regulatory uh, uh, minutia that, that really needs to be cleaned up. Uh, the EPA could be doing that right now. Um, E15 and E10 were determined by the EPA to be what they call substantially similar, which means that if there is equipment that is certified for E10, it should be just fine to put E15 in that same uh, system. So that's, we just need the green light to be able to do that. Retailers, I think, are lining up wanting to do that. Uh, just because there's such a price differential right now, we, we've had a lot of people across the country send us pictures of uh, marquees outside of gas stations. Uh, there's typically a 20 to 30 cent differential between E10 and E15. And then in California right now with the high gas prices, we're seeing up to a $3 differential between the price of E10 and E85. So we are the lower cost, cheaper alternative. We're available. We have the capacity. We want to do more. And we just need the Biden administration to open up that spigot and let us help. Troy, I'm out in farm country. I talk to growers all the time. It sounds like there's a lot of enthusiasm for passing a bill like this one with these sort of components. As you talk to folks in Washington, D.C., does that enthusiasm carry forward into the district? What's your take on the prognosis for this bill? Are we going to get it across the finish line? Well, it might not be this particular bill, Mike, but there will be some kind of of energy package come forward. I truly believe that uh, with, with the situation with the Russia-Ukraine uh, crisis going on, and, and obviously prices are gonna be up for most of the summer driving season, there's definitely a lot of people thinking about what can be done from an energy perspective to alleviate that price and that supply issue. So this could be a component to a much bigger package. Uh, I know Senator Manchin is working on some some things. Uh, he's asking us questions about how biofuels could play a bigger role, not only here in America, but also to backfill Europe for what's going to be lost coming out of that Ukraine uh, region. So uh, there's a lot of opportunity here. I think there is going to be something happening at the federal level, and we're going to be right in the middle of it to make sure biofuels are well positioned. That is good to hear, folks. That's Troy Camp. He is the Senior Vice President of Government and Public Affairs with the Renewable Fuels Association. Troy, thanks for joining us. And folks, stay tuned. When AOA returns, we're going to check in with Joel Haggard, Senior Vice President of the Asia-Pacific Region for the Meat Export Federation, about beef demand in Asia. Stay with us on AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. DTN and Progressive Farmer bring producers the best content in agriculture. Each day our editors post unique content to our website, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day -day business decisions. DTN and Progressive Farmer provide insights throughout the year to questions like, what is the outlook for corn yields in 2021? Will feed prices surge? What about land prices? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? For more intelligence like this, visit DTNPF.com.
When it comes to your 2022 seed decisions, don't step over the line. Buy new, professionally produced seed from authorized seed companies and dealers. The Seed Innovation and Protection Alliance membership of 100 companies invest 15% of their sales into product research and development that can take 7 to 16 years, with total costs ranging from $1 million to $140 million for new genetics and or traits. SEPA thanks farmers for buying new seed that not only maximizes yield potential, but also funds the next great seed innovations for U.S. farmers. To anonymously report a seed infringement, call 1-844-SEED-TIP. Oh, nice engine. Supercharged? Yep. High porosity and aggregates? Yep. Porous medium for gas exchange? Uh-huh. Microbial catalytic potential and repository for carbon and nitrogen? Check, check, and check. Oh, man, that is good under the hood. And to think I used to be impressed with hammies. So... When was the last time you looked under the hood at your farm's production engine? At your soil? Is it as healthy and productive as it can be? Stop by your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out and unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by NRCS and this radio station. Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. Public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Hello, folks, and thanks for making AOA a part of your day today. Over the past several years, since the end of the trade war with China and the signing of the Phase 1 agreement, they have been prodigious buyers of American commodities. And notably, they have been very large buyers, not just China, but all of Southeast Asia, of American protein. Red meat exports have soared to the Asia-Pacific region. Here we are, March of 2022, and that region is starting to address COVID and the outbreak of COVID really for the first time. To bring us up to speed on what all this might look look like for red meat demand going forward. We're joined now by Joel Haggard. He's the senior vice president of the Asia Pacific region for the U.S. Meat Export Federation. He's joining us live from Hong Kong. Joel, thanks for talking to us today. Great to be here. For our listeners here in the U.S. who maybe aren't plugged into what's happening there in Southeast Asia, give us an update. As COVID has started to spread, how are Hong Kong, China, other countries in the region responding? Sure. Uh, yeah, well, it's an interesting story because um, it, it seems like in the United States and the Western world, COVID is very much in the rearview mirror. But just think of Asia as being in kind of the April 2020 phase um, where it's uh, really experiencing very high cases. Um, it's experiencing this uh, Omicron subvariant, which is very transmissible. Uh, Asia has very dense urban populations. So, um, yeah, it's moving um, uh, in a big wave, um, but it's moving through fast. So, uh, and, and every different market is on a different schedule for COVID. Hong Kong is probably coming off of its peak. Korea's coming off of its peak. Southeast Asia had its peak a couple of weeks ago, is starting to open back up to travelers. And so we're probably on the backside of this. The one country that, uh, a little bit concerning because they have a policy of trying to maintain 
zero infections is China. Yes, and that's not working. We saw it was announced, I believe, earlier today, 2,200 plus new COVID cases in China and potential reports that those might be understated. Joel, where does China go from here with this COVID zero policy in place? Well, they're maintaining that they're going to try to stick by zero COVID. But, you know, again, they're experiencing, like you said, 2,000 cases and they don't count the asymptomatic cases. So it's really 5,000 cases. But it's, uh, and from what we heard today, uh, every week we have a call with our China staff and uh, it's pretty disruptive at the moment. It's difficult for people to move around in cities and between cities. It's affecting uh, logistics a little bit for our products moving around. Everyone's a little bit on a knife edge. They had some panic buying uh, yesterday in Shanghai, which has never been under a full lockdown. So just a, a, you know, a little bit on edge at, at the moment, but the policy is to stick to zero COVID. Okay, Joel, as you think about what this could mean for meat demand, of course, parts of Asia have been under some form of lockdown for the past two years and, and beef purchases have been good. Is that concern growing here as you look out in 2022? Could we see red meat exports to Asia start to slow? I'm still pretty optimistic and mainly because you're seeing um, our other big markets in the region really performed strongly so far this year. And I'm really talking about Korea and uh, Taiwan. China's been good in the first quarter in terms of buying. Um, remember that, that, yes, the restaurants are hit hard by COVID, but then people are flocked to retail. And in Asia, you have a very sophisticated, perhaps even more sophisticated than in Western countries, a very sophisticated e-commerce culture and um, and so people are buying the meat for for home consumption. This is a pattern we've seen uh, throughout Asia and especially again in, in Korea and China. So I'm remaining optimistic because this wave is is probably beginning to um, come down. China's again a, a, a little bit uncertain, but um, we're still seeing the orders come in because of that strong retail business. Well, that is good news. As you think about China, Joel, and in your conversations with your staff on the ground over there, we've heard a lot about the Chinese hog herd rebounding. And then we heard this past year that margins were terrible and some producers were looking perhaps to exit the hog industry once again. Can you provide us some background? What What is happening on the ground in the Chinese hog herd right now? No, exactly. Well, it looks like there's two things going on. There's just a, there's a surplus of hogs at the moment. And, you know, some of us forget that this is really the slow uh, consumption period of the year. So it's usually a pretty ugly month for uh, pork consumption. And this is the post-Chinese New Year, Lunar New Year season, which uh, takes place in February. So, you know, we have the seasonal lows compounded by uh, weak consumption overall. And that's probably COVID-related to some extent. Um, and then there, there's still just too many hogs. That herd rebuilt really fast. And so you have you had that fast herd rebuild compounded with slow consumption. And it's been pretty, it's been a pretty poor market over the last couple of months. But there is, you know, at some point, at some point, uh, the, the situation is going to turn because they they will have um they will have called uh their, their breeding herd and uh, the market will rebound. And let's remember the China hog market is one of kind of these boom and bust cycles. So I still think that uh, there's optimism out there about the second half of the year, prices rebounding. Uh, but at the moment, they're, they're in a cyclical trough. There's no question about it. Well, Joel, let's look out here through 2022. One of the concerns we hear domestically in this country is that higher fuel prices are going to be taking some dollars out of consumers' pockets, might limit their ability to purchase beef at the retail level. In China, in Hong Kong, in Southeast Asia broadly, are there similar concerns about fuel or energy costs displacing some of the dollars that uh, Asian consumers could spend on red meat? Yeah, it's interesting because remember that a lot of a, a lot of people in these Asian countries don't own cars in the cities. It's unlike the United States. However, that said, they're experiencing the same type of food inflation that everyone around the world is. So yeah, these are you know these are questions. I'd say it's not so much a fuel versus food kind of um, question 
uh, in Asia, but um, and, and inflation is a concern. On the other hand, buyers in Asia uh, of beef, what we're seeing so far this year, you know, they're afraid of prices going higher. So we have seen pretty aggressive buying during Q1 in, in places like Korea and, and Taiwan, for example, who kind of got left in the dust last year. They said, oh, well, prices are going to come back down pretty soon. They just can't keep going higher. They did go higher and they kind of got left out. So we've seen some pretty decent buying simply because people think prices are going to go higher. And that's and now I'm talking on the importer side. And, you know, hopefully the consumer uh, will maintain their consumption habits. The economies are still performing pretty well. So overall, I think there's still a pretty good base uh, demand base there. And Joel, you've mentioned Korea a few times. Beef exports to South Korea have been phenomenal through 2021. It appears as though that's continuing here in 2022. How much of this do you think is being driven by that reduction in tariff that was uh, accomplished under the Korea-U.S. free trade agreement? Well, there's no question that lower tariffs equal greater demand. That means lower prices to consumers. That feeds through. Um, but I mean, there's, you know, there are these longer term structural issues that are happening. Um, from my observation, Korea is probably the most sophisticated e-commerce market that I've seen anywhere for foodstuffs and for meat. Um, consumers are very savvy. They, they can they, they order from a wide variety of SKUs available online. And this is chilled meat. It's delivered very quickly to their homes. So, you know, throughout the pandemic, these disruptions to food service have really translated in, into almost, uh, you, you know, just compensated outright by this uh, increase in retail buying online. So, and, and Korea just seems to go from strength to strength and overall beef consumption is increasing. That is good news. Real quick, before we let you go, Vietnam, those, that strength continues. Do you see that predominantly as a market for U.S. pork here over this next year? Yes, I mean Vietnam's a very tough market for us right now. Um, they're getting, you know, they're getting product from Russia, for example. It's it's been a price market. They got pretty hard hit by COVID. Um, they had African swine fever problems. Prices of their domestic products have kind of seesawed up and down. Um, that's that's pretty challenging right now. But again, we see their COVID problems waning in the months ahead, and and we really hope it'll it'll come back both for beef and pork. And U.S. pork pricing, we think, uh, should should move more to the favorable side because the EU is having problems on on costs of production on hogs, and and their herd is down. Lots of variables at play. Thanks to Joel Haggard, he's the senior vice president of the Asia Pacific region for the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Joel, thanks for joining us today. It's my pleasure. And folks, stick around when AOA returns. Arlen Suderman of Stonex will join me and we'll talk about the rally that's happening across the grain and oilseed sector today. Stay with us on AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Every Tuesday, we're sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS, where we'll be talking with folks from throughout the cooperative system. Join us as we discover what makes cooperatives unique when there are more options to do business with than ever before. We'll learn how farmers and ranchers like you benefit from a system where decisions are made by the members that own it. Tune in every Tuesday for Around the Table or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Now a National Ag Week message brought to you on behalf of Growmark and its FS and Green Member Cooperatives. Agriculture is the foundation of our country, the backbone of a healthy and prosperous nation, made possible by the hard work of America's farms and farm families who lead the way in preservation and innovation for the health of our planet and provide food for our tables. Join FS as we celebrate this week as National Agriculture Week. Agriculture, growing a climate for tomorrow. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. As we take a look at this market trade here early on this Wednesday, grains are moving sharply higher once again, led by this soybean complex here today. As we see the war intensifying in Ukraine, stocks rebounding, Wall Street increasingly sees the U.S. economy remaining resilient, aided by stimulus already in the system. 
And we see also money flow into the ag and energy commodities due to their inflation story. Now, it's been a massive roller coaster ride for the grain and oilseed markets the last few weeks, but the bottom line is that corded soybean prices remain in a range near their highs, with December corn posting fresh contract highs. Wheat prices are generally well off their highs, but the breaks are being bought. Next week's USDA planting intentions and quarterly grain stocks reports are going to add fundamental news to these markets, which are currently largely being dominated by algo day trading. And that is something that is giving us a lot of volatility, but we'll see what happens with the USDA numbers here next week. Taking a look at some of the current numbers here in the trade, let's start with corn. May corn right now, that is sitting up 16 and a quarter, 769 and a quarter. December corn up nine and three quarters, 679 and three quarters. May soybeans up 37 and a quarter, 1733 and three quarters. November beans up 20 and a quarter, 1518 and a quarter. May bean meal up 1230 a ton, 489.10. May bean oil up 118 points, 75.72. May Chicago wheat up 60 to three quarters, 1135. May Kansas City wheat up 21, 1137.5. May spring wheat up 18 to three quarters, 11, 14 and a half. Hogs are on a tear so far today with April hogs up 237, 102.62. Feeder and live cattle lower. March feeders down 92, 155.40. April live cattle down 95, 138.47. Crude oil up 448 a barrel, 113.75. This is AOA. I'm Jesse Allen. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health? 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. And in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for joining us here on this Wednesday. Joining me now is Arlen Suderman of Stone X. And what a day to talk to Arlen as these markets continue to rally. Arlen, let's look at the soybean market first. What changed in the overnight? Why are we up so big today? Well, there's a couple of things. First of all, we need to look at who the traders are in the overnight versus the day trade. Overnight, we get a lot of European traders, some Asian traders. They have a different perception of, of the supply and demand fundamentals than maybe U.S. traders. They have a different perspective, a different filter they're looking at things through. So we have that with U.S. traders. But we're also seeing the strength of the Brazilian soybean basis over U.S. basis going forward. U.S. soybeans are being competitive, especially as we get into summer months. Months, but even somewhat competitive now as well, depending on freight costs. But another story that came out, and we did see widespread buying across the ag and energy complex this morning on the Ukraine story and just the belief that we're tightening up all of these commodities and supplies. But we did get some quotas out of Russia on sunflower oil and sunflower meal exports expectations for this year, and they were well below what they normally ship. And so that indicates that not only have we lost Ukrainian exports, but we're losing Russian exports. It's not really a surprise, but it kind of reinforced it. Keep in mind that most of the volume in these markets right now is the algo traders, the day traders, the computers that trade headlines and momentum signals just during the day, and then they're out of their positions at the end of the trading day, and so they're catching on to those and, and trading them. And the momentum's to the upside. We're, we're testing the top side of these recent trading ranges, and uh, as that happens, we get more buy signals because sellers are just stepping aside. 
Arlen, you mentioned the, the the difference in the basis between Brazil and the U.S. As you think about those freight costs and the challenges they typically have in shipping season down in Brazil, have any of those popped up? And I'm thinking trucker strikes. I'm thinking sort of those those transportation and logistics issues that usually come up down there. Have they reared their head yet this year? Uh, there's there's been some periodic talk of strikes, etc. Nothing unusual, nothing of significance. I, ironically, is China's been depending more on um, shipments out of the Pacific Northwestern United States to try to fill the gaps. As we become competitive, we've seen more problems moving stuff there um, because of a lack of locomotives sufficient to get uh, the rail freight to the Pacific Northwest. So that could create some challenges as well. This is just one of those years where if it can go wrong, it will. And that seems to continue to be the case, tightening up supplies. I was part of a, on a panel last night uh, with some other speakers in a conference in Singapore, obviously virtual, because I'm with you this morning. Um, and that was one of the themes of, of the conversation of this Singapore conference among end users there is supplies of commodities are very tight, and it's particularly the oil seeds tight enough so, so much so that uh, demand is going to have to be reduced with higher prices. And no doubt there was some media in that event as well. When we think about the higher prices required to reduce demand, Arlen, looking at the global picture now, it appears to me, a, a, a layman on the outside, that, that so far buying has continued more or less at a pace. What or where do you think we might start to encounter some of that uh, reduction in purchases due to these higher prices? Yeah, I guess you could point to some signals that that's happening already, but for the most part, I agree with you that we've seen that demand pretty well hold in place, and there's a reason for that. It's six-plus trillion dollars of stimulus that are in the U.S. economy, and, and central banks and governments around the world have done that in their economies as well. So this is such a stimulated economy right now that even though everyone's complaining about inflation, um, the, the products are still being bought, and particularly since we're dealing with food-based commodities, those remain at the top of the chain. We have seen some indications that we may be starting to see the consumer and the meat sector kind of move down the chain of, of uh, value. In other words, fewer steaks, more hamburgers, so to speak. Um, so we may be seeing some early signs of that happening. But other than that, we're pretty much seeing the strong demand continue. And in fact, what we're seeing is a little bit of a hoarding mentality, um, not just not necessarily by the consumer, but I'm talking about governments, where governments are saying we're not going to export as much if they're an exporter because we want to make sure we have enough. Certainly seeing that in the fertilizer sector uh, as well as some other commodities. And the importers are saying we're going to increase our imports to increase our reserves. So all of this further tightens up the supply, increases demand in the near term. And we're seeing this play out. And kind of an example, as I'm reminded, you know, during the pandemic of a major box store that had, you know, shelves and shelves full of toilet paper, but it had a sign hanging there that said limit two containers per per purchase. And right away, though, what'd that do? That created panic. Oh, no, they must have limited supply. So everyone got their two packages, but then they came back the next day and got two more, and the next day two more, and pretty soon the shelves were empty. That's kind of the environment we're in right now with the commodities with a number of countries worried they're not going to have enough and they're starting to hoard supplies and that's helping to hold demand up at these prices. And in fact, there are some end users, we look at wheat specifically, who do not have adequate coverage because they kept thinking, well, we're going to let this settle down and it's not settling down and they're thinking, okay, we're going to have to get involved now and actually do some purchasing to get the coverage we need. Arlen, as you think about those importing countries who like to have stockpiles, the name that comes to my mind first, of course, is China. They're known for having massive stockpiles of, of dubious quality stored across the country. Have they continued their purchasing? Have these price levels dissuaded the Chinese from building those stockpiles back up yet? 
Well, they are, and I do think there's some legitimate question of what those stockpiles are as we talk to our sources and our people. We have boots on the ground in China with staff and customers, and, and there's some indications that maybe the supplies aren't what is officially said that they are, and I think this is a concern of the Chinese government as well, that the supplies may not be what they thought that they were. So they are making those purchases, and, and USDA in the last couple of uh, WASD crop reports has been dramatic reducing South American soybean production, to use an example here, uh, they still have more cuts to get to get to, down to where most of the rest of the industry is at, but they've been reducing those supplies dramatically because of the short drought and shortened crop. How do they account for that? They've just been reducing Chinese demand, but we're really not seeing Yes, we've seen a little bit of a softening in demand because of poor feeding margins, but for the most part, China is continuing to buy and trying to acquire those supplies, and USDA really hasn't accounted for that. We look at the feeding margins in China, it would certainly suggest that we will see reduced demand for feed. But again, we're not seeing that by way of Chinese buying. They seem to be wanting to stock up with those supplies and acquire more supplies now while they can because I think they're concerned about global supplies getting tight. And even though their demand may be soft now, their day will come and they'll need them and they want to make sure they have them. That makes sense. Arlen Stonex, you folks over there were one of the earliest to start reporting on the drawdown of, of quality and quantity of beans coming out of Brazil here in their first crop. As Stonex looks out to the second crop, Safrina, do you have an impression yet of where this crop size could fall? Uh, right now, in, in April is the critical month for that crop when it moves, the bulk of it moves into its reproductive phase, and so the rainy season needs to continue through there. So, so far, it's looking pretty good. Yes, there are some dry areas like there always are, uh, but for the most part, the crop looks pretty good. We do not know what the impact of uh, lower fertilizer application rates may have been. Their soils are less forgiving than what ours, so there may be some of that impact. But since we're not to pollination stage, it's really too early to know what impact is going to be on ear size and, and pollination and grain fill yet. So the month of April, I think, will be very telling, and that's kind of what we're waiting for before we make those assessments. That makes sense. We'll keep an eye on the calendar there for April. Let's think about the wheat market. Um, Arlen, as you think about what could be coming out of the Ukraine, of course, they've loaded one train, I believe, for export, but still down substantially. This wheat market, how much of the volatility is being driven by fundamentals? You mentioned those folks coming in to cover their positions. And how much is being driven by fear or hedge inflation by the large-scale commodity investors? Yeah, but frankly, most of the traditional traders are out of the market right now and, and maybe trying to operate in the cash market, but really frustrated by the volatility in the futures market. So much of the trade is being driven by the computers that are in trading during the day, trading headlines and momentum signals, and then out by the end of the day. Um, but overall, Supply and demand does matter. It's just a frustrating way of getting there. And you'll note that of late, the breaks continue to be bought, and there seems to be more of an upward bias of late as the concerns have been ramping up about the, the longer-term supplies. And we're gearing up next week. End of next week, of course, we'll get the prospective plantings report from USDA. Arlen, where does Stonex fall? Right now, we're looking at 91.1 million acres of corn and 89.9 million acres of soybeans. So that's a combined 181 million acres between corn and soybeans. Traditionally, 180 million is where we tend to sit. So I think we are going to find ways to expand, mostly through the expansion of soybeans, a little bit of a cut in corn. Um, when we get into the plains, particularly the northern plains, I think we're going to see a lot of competition from some of the smaller alternative crops that have good insurance coverage on them and, and revenue opportunities. Uh, and I think the oil seeds are going to fare very well and make it tough for wheat to compete. Lots of things to watch out for. We'll be checking in with Arlen Suderman of Stonex as we get closer to that prospective planting state. Arlen, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Mike. And folks, stick around. AOA will return. We'll take another look at the energy markets when we come back. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. 
diesel that doesn't mess around. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it. Or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell everything's changed. I had to tell. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. Considering an online pharmacy? Explore BeSafeRx to find useful information and resources to help you purchase medicines safely online. A safe online pharmacy requires a doctor's prescription, has an address in the United States, has a licensed pharmacist, and is licensed by a state pharmacy board. It's best to stay away from online pharmacies that don't meet these criteria. Discover more helpful tips and resources at BeSafeRx. Go to FDA.gov slash BeSafeRx. Now a National Ag Week message brought to you on behalf of Growmark and its FS and Green Member Cooperatives. Agriculture is the foundation of our country, the backbone of a healthy and prosperous nation, made possible by the hard work of America's farms and farm families who lead the way in preservation and innovation for the health of our planet and provide food for our tables. Join FS as we celebrate this week as National Agriculture Week. Agriculture, growing a climate for tomorrow. As planting season begins across the country, the American Seed Trade Association reminds farmers to follow the basic steps for seed treatment stewardship. Follow directions on seed container labeling. Eliminate weeds in the field prior to planting. Minimize dust by using advanced seed flow lubricants. Be aware of honeybees and hives located near the field. Ensure that any spilled seeds are removed or covered by soil to protect wildlife and the environment. And remove all treated seed left in equipment. For more information, visit seed-treatment-guide.com or contact your seed dealer. Each and every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique, original content to their website at DTNPF.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crops, cattle, equipment technology, and more. You'll find innovative topics like, would you plant soybeans in December? Experiments look at the possibility of boosting yields with early planting. Want to save time? Learn how through autonomous machinery systems. Will there be a surge in feed prices in 2021? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? The editors of DTN and Progressive Farmer are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPF.com today. Hey, wouldn't it be great if life came with a remote control? You know, you could hit pause when you needed to, or hit rewind, like that time you knocked down that wasp's nest. Uh Uh-oh. 
Well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but pre-diabetes does. With early diagnosis and a few healthy changes, you can stop pre-diabetes before it leads to type 2 diabetes. To learn your risk, take the one-minute test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Thanks for joining us today here on AOA, ladies and gentlemen. We have been talking a lot recently about energy prices, and you might notice it in the news a lot more here over the next few days. Right now, in fact, yesterday, going on in Switzerland, was the Financial Times, the FT Commodities Global Summit. This was a gathering of traders, buyers, importers, and exporters, all involved in the world of commodities. They get together in Switzerland, and they discuss, okay, what's happening in the world of commodities, an unsurprising Surprisingly, one of the most important topics that came up again and again was crude oil and the ramifications of shutting Russian crude out of particularly the Western, the European, and the American markets as this war in Ukraine has intensified. Four chief executives of some of the largest energy traders, Vital, Gunvor, Mercuria, and Trafiguria, have all gotten together and they said the gas market, so we're looking at those products of Russian crude oil, is dysfunctional in Europe right now due, due to unmanageable margin calls. Remember that volatility we've been seeing in the futures markets when prices move up or down in any big stretch. Of course, the folks on the opposite side of that move are getting a call from their clearinghouse saying, hey, you need to put a little more margin or perhaps a lot more margin in your account to cover these moves. We've seen this can have massive impacts in the wheat market. When we had all of those shorts that were stuck as wheat was locked limit up, Day after day, we saw the same story happen in the nickel market. We've got an update on that we'll cover in just a second. But this oil market has folks very concerned. And as these traders were talking in Europe, they said their biggest fear in the short term is diesel. This matters to those of us in the U.S. as we are gearing up for planting season. We are going to be running a lot of dyed diesel through our equipment, and that price matters. Europe imports half of its diesel needs, so it's, it's finished product diesel comes from Russia. Now, so far, there have been consumers, there have been companies who have been backing away from purchasing Russian diesel, but there have been few official formal bans on bringing that product into, the, into those countries. But these folks are worried. They are very concerned, and they don't see any relief coming in the short term. The expectation is that Iran could increase a million barrels per day over the next six to nine months. It's going to take time to get this market sorted out. So do expect some diesel price volatility as we head into planting, as the Europeans look globally to figure out where they can meet their diesel shortage if they're not purchasing from the U.S., there is another place we are seeing energy come to the forefront. And this um, is interesting news, I think, for a lot of folks in the U.S. who have been accustomed to conversations about energy policy relying on decarbonization, not pulling more fossil fuels out of the ground, etc. Talks are happening right now. President Biden is on his way or currently in Europe for an emergency NATO meeting to discuss the war in Ukraine. Tomorrow, he is going to be heading to Brussels to discuss European, to discuss with European leaders how can the U.S. help supply Europe's liquefied natural gas and hydrogen markets. We have seen the U.S. become a very large natural gas producer with the advent of fracking over the past, uh, well, over the past decade, 15 years. And now we're figuring out how we can get that natural gas to be liquefied and exported over to Europe. The European countries are looking to find an energy supplier that's not Russia. They want to find somebody who will be exempt from sanctions. And the U.S. both has the supply and has those other requirements where we're not Russia and we're largely broadly friendly to our, our compatriots over in Europe. That makes the U.S. a very good place to go. Unfortunately, it does not look like the U.S. has all of the capacity we would need to ramp up exports quickly enough to get this um, liquefied natural gas over to Europe. So these topics are going to be under discussion. 
It is expected that President Biden will discuss how prepared U.S. oil and gas producers are to ramp up production. This will be a private session, so we don't have any uh, recordings in the room as this happens, but we will be watching tomorrow as this meeting ends what was decided, what was discussed, and of course, what will be available publicly. Now, I do want to have a follow-up. About two weeks ago, we had uh, Joe Doe. He's a commodities reporter from Bloomberg on the show, and we were talking about the shutdown of nickel trading at the London Metal Exchange. This was a big deal. Nickel went nuts. A lot of us in uh, out here use nickel in our electric car batteries. We use it in, in uh, making chips, a lot of high-tech applications. It's a, it's a crucial commodity for much of the global trade. And and again, it got caught in that uh, that short squeeze that pushed prices higher. LME shut down nickel trading. They completely halted it for about three days. After the trade reopened, open interest was way down. After the trade reopened, we saw a lot of traders stepping away from that market. Since then, the price of nickel slumped throughout that week after it reopened but it's caught fire once again. Again, global traders are looking at the war in Ukraine. They're looking at Russia. They're looking at suppliers of nickel moving out of the market and supplies are tight. We heard that from Arlen Suderman earlier on the program. This is going to be an ongoing concern. As of today, nickel has moved much higher. It was up 15% earlier today. That is the limit for trade when the when the LME decided to reopen it, they did put some, some limits in place. It was up nearly $3,000 in the span of 20 minutes. Folks, the volatility matters. We heard Arlen discuss this because it mixes up the way the money flow happens in the commodity trade. If folks are being forced to meet margin calls day in and day out, obviously that's dollars that aren't being deployed elsewhere in the economy. And it's going to change the way those folks making the margin calls adjust their risk. And they're probably going to try to lay off some of that risk. So we've seen this broad back out of commodity futures as this goes forward. Before we go for the day, we have talked a lot about China on the show, both from Joel Haggard and from Arlen. And my, China is trying something new. It was announced, it's not totally new, but it's a continuation of a policy they started pre-COVID, and that's tax cuts. The Chinese government has announced 2.5 trillion yuan, just about a $400 billion tax cut coming. It's the fifth year of such a tax cut. We'll see if this can help keep a little more money in the Chinese consumers' pockets. Folks, tune in tomorrow. We'll be talking to Josh Linville about the fertilizer market, Paul Bleiberg on dairy policy from the National uh, Milk Producers Federation, and we'll talk beef trade with Professor Gary Willett. Tune in on Thursday to AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Okay, gotta be late. Gotta go, gotta go. Where'd I put... Ah, wallet. Check. And... Oh, phone. Uh, check. Keys. Check. Lunch. Check. Checking for the things you need doesn't take long. But what about checking for your safety? Right now, one in every five vehicles on the road has an open safety recall. But it only takes seconds to check for open recalls on your car at checktoprotect.org. All you need is your vehicle identification number or license plate number. Your automaker may not have the right information to notify you about recalls by mail, especially if you recently moved or drive an older or used car. Checktoprotect.org is the quick, easy way to find out if your vehicle has an open safety recall and find the closest dealer who can make the repair for free. Oh, oh, laptop. Check. Before you go, take a minute. Visit Checktoprotect.org. Check to Protect is a program of the National Safety Council.